Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and today I'm not with a co-host because, again, we're going behind enemy lines after taking a week off because we could not find anyone who went to Ball State because Letterman would not return our calls. So today, uh, ahead of Penn State's game against Auburn, we went out and got my pal Jerry Hinnon, uh, formerly of CBS Sports, now at TheWarEagleReader.com. Jerry, what's going on, man? Hey, Bill. I am delighted to be on the show, a uh, very, very big game this Saturday between your team and my team. Um, I, I honestly kind of feel a little bit honored by the whiteout designation, you know? <laughs> like, I know this is not something that Penn State pulls out of the wardrobe, you know, every year. I feel like you've gone into the closet and, you know, pulled out the the really cool soccer jersey, um, you know, to wear to, like, the cool party, you know, where uh, the girl you want to, you know, maybe hang out with a little bit, have a couple <laughs> of things going to be. Um, so, you know, like I said, I, it, it feels kind of nice uh, that you guys are going all out for our arrival. It, it's very not my personal arrival. Yes. Uh, I have Happy Valley's a long way away. But um, for Auburn's arrival, uh, you know, it, it feels kind of nice. I'm happy to talk about the game. Yes, uh, the, the fashion choice is very much the uh, bomb pop uni that I only bust out for Mexico qualifiers. But uh, no, this is there were actually uh, a lot of Penn State fans in the lead up to this game who were like, listen, the whiteout is one of the most incredible things in sports when Kirk Herbstreet loses his mind over it every single year, that sort of thing. But like doing it for Ohio State, awesome. Doing it for Michigan, awesome. We do it for those two almost exclusively. Let's do it for someone a little bit different for a team that's a little bit new. We never play Auburn. Like, <laughs> it's a school that... That's happened in a couple of bowl games, but that's... Right. But, like, let's let's do something special for a game that is special. Like, and it's also, like, an increasingly unique thing in college football. Like, one of the things that I hate the most is uh, the Outback Steakhouse preseason classic at Jerry Dome between TCU and Georgia. Like, I hate that stuff. Like, this is an on-campus game between two... Yeah. Big time college football programs, and it is so cool, so incredibly cool that it's happening. I'm glad we're able to uh, extend a, a uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? A hostile pleasantry in the form of yes. the whiteout to you guys. And I hope whenever Penn State goes down uh, to Auburn, that is reciprocated. But uh, how you doing, man? How's uh, how is life in Auburn football world right now? We're still not sure. I think it's generally positive. Um, but first, let me say before we move on from this last point, really, Bill, aren't we disappointed that this game isn't being played in like FedEx Field, you oh, know, God. Uh, on a neutral site where everybody can come together in neutrality? Uh, <laughs> we could get crowd shots of, you know, half full lower bowls uh, with fans, you know, just sort of half asleep checking their phones. Um, really wouldn't that be the better thing? Because then the TV executives would be happy. And really, that's who matters here, are not thousands of Penn State and traveling Auburn fans. Really, it's, it's the ESPN executives. Uh, but to answer your question, um, Auburn fans are pretty good at the moment. Um, a little bit wary about our first half against Alabama State. Uh, you know, <laughs> the Akron game went even more according to script than it was supposed to. Uh, but... You know, I mean, this is a general thought while we are I am appearing on a podcast to preview uh, an Auburn football game is that I'm not sure there's a power five program in the country that is harder to preview. At this point, Auburn mm-hmm. has undergone uh, an offseason coaching change uh, with a dramatic philosophy shift on offense, a fairly substantial 
uh, shift in terms of scheme on defense, uh, and then came out of the gate and played um, in week two a subpar FCS team, and in week one a team that technically belongs in FBS, but in terms of quality is also a subpar FCS team. Um, The Akron Zips were really, I think, the worst FBS team I have ever seen uh, play against Auburn in Jordan Air Stadium. Like, they were uh, just really, really dreadful. Um, And so it is very, very difficult to sort of glean out, like, okay, what matters from these performances? What does not matter? Uh, You know, what does it mean for playing, you know, not just like a team with a verifiable pulse, but like a very good top 10 team uh, on the road uh, in a venue like Happy Valley is going to be this Saturday uh, is a very difficult thing to tease out. Yeah, it's like it's funny in a way like it's there are always like the three competing ways of doing a college football like season. It's just throw yourselves right in at the very beginning, uh, throw yourself in at the beginning and, you know, ease it like ease into big games. And then there's what Auburn did, which We'll I'm, we'll talk about it in a bit. There are way, there are certainly ways to extol the virtues of that, especially when Auburn went through a big coaching search in the off season. That's where I want to start uh, in just getting some understanding of Auburn. Before we get into what we'll call an eventful coaching search, uh, I want to know why did after it seems like every off season. Like you could set the clock that's you could set a timer that on December 29th, whatever it is, someone's going to have a report somewhere about Gus Malzahn being in trouble. Why did Auburn decide this offseason was the one to move on from Gus? And why And is there a sense? My guess is no, that this could be a bit of a Glenn Mason thing where you don't realize that you have something consistent and steady and you're trying to take a leap that might be unwarranted. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I was not personally supportive of the decision to fire Miles on this past offseason, but I understood it. Um, My objections were primarily uh, that we were in the middle, you know, after a COVID season, we were in the middle of staring at university-wide sort of potential budget struggles, the same thing that's been going on in universities all over the country. Um, And so the timing of it rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, just judging him in any way on what happens in the COVID season was not something I really felt comfortable with. But I'll say this. Um, I had moved beyond the point of expecting Gus Malzahn's offense to work the way that we all wanted it to work in the caliber of games that Gus Malzahn was going to need to win. Um, you know, when we talk about, you know, Gus being on the hot seat year after year after year, Um, You know, I think some of that was, you know, fans who are on social media and on message boards um, who oppose Miles on were frequently some of the loudest voices uh, in those spaces. Um, You know, we didn't hear from large numbers of fans who I think were sort of satisfied, if not exactly happy uh, with Gus's performance over the last few years, Uh, but also at some point you have to kind of take stock and say, well, is Gus going to reach a point where he is on stable footing, where he wins over enough of the fan base to say, okay, you know, we're happy with him as the head coach. There's not this, we're not going to get a report 
at the end of the season about how he's on the hot seat. And, you know, because the program can't really move forward in recruiting and donations, all of this kind of stuff, when every single season we're having the same conversation about whether the head coach is going to last for another couple of years. Like at some point, you just kind of have to cut bait and move on. And even if I didn't feel like the end of last season was the time to do that, um, it was going to happen eventually. Like it was probably going to be at the end of this season, uh, maybe, you know, at the end of next. It, it wasn't going to be a permanent thing where Gus Malzahn hangs on for like another five to 10 years. That, that ship, uh, unfortunately, I think really had sailed. And it honestly, there were reasons for it to have sailed. Gus Malzahn's offense had not performed in the biggest games of the season uh, for years. Like you would have to really, since 2017, uh, they had the, you may remember at the end of that season, Auburn hosted Georgia, hosted Alabama. Both of those teams were undefeated. Auburn ran them out of Jordan-Hare Stadium. And really in both of those games, the offense looked great. Uh, and since then, over the ensuing three seasons, uh, at no point did Auburn's offense under Gus Malzahn look like it was capable of winning those kinds of games again. Uh, and so, you know, again, the timing I didn't necessarily approve of, uh, but the eventual outcome, I think, was inevitable. I do think there was an argument if the money men, uh, you know, the boosters who are sort of supplying the money for the buyout felt like now was a time that they were comfortable doing it, you know. Uh, okay, and the other thing is that uh, Auburn went and athletic director changed during Malzahn's tenure. This gave Alan Green, our current guy, a chance to go out, hire his coach, which he has done. Uh, and, and I think there's a certain um, you know positive to that aspect as well, where we can say, okay, the AD has his guy uh, in by far the most important position in this athletic department, and that's a good thing. So. You know, it wasn't necessarily the outcome I wanted, but it is definitely an outcome I can live with. Yeah, I, at the bare minimum, it seemed like it was just a matter of at some point we're going to have to rip this Band-Aid off. And like yeah. you mentioned, with some changes in the AD, like it was the time to do it. Having said that, um, I think we could agree that Auburn's coaching search after firing Malzahn was uh, – a lot uh, ultimately decided to end up with Brian Harson, uh, long time head coach, long ish time head coach at Boise State. Did a very nice job up there in the Mountain West. Uh, one, can you just give us kind of the 10,000 foot view? Why was it such a weird coaching search? And then what was it about Harson that made Auburn's athletic department go, that's the guy? Yeah, I, to be honest, I'm not sure in the actual facts of the search. It was quite so wild as it appeared to be in the media. Um, Harson was not even floated as like a candidate uh, up until like the very end when it was like, oh, this guy is probably going to be the next head coach. Like we had, you know, all these names, uh, Bill Clark and Kevin Steele and all this kind of stuff, uh, you know, flying around, um, you know, lots of talk that Kevin Steele uh, who was Auburn's defensive coordinator, has some <laughs> extremely poor head coaching experience with Baylor in his distant past. Uh, you know, there was talk that he had kind of like led the movement to oust Malzahn. And when all was said and done, I'm not sure how much fire there was and how much smoke. It, it really felt like to me at the end of the day when, um, you know, Harson went from you know, completely out of the picture. Nobody's even talking about him to, Oh, here's his introductory press conference. 
it felt a little bit like a you know just an enormous amount of smoke for very little fire uh if that makes sense and you know how much of it was really you know these uh behind the throne machinations that are going on and you know it got reports about how you know the boosters are running the search and uh you know the consensus at the end was that like among Auburn fans is that there was a power struggle basically between the boosters and between Alan Green, the athletic director, uh, and that Green eventually ended up winning it and got to hire his guy um, in Brian Harson as opposed to the boosters guy, which was, you know, the, the consensus was that it was going to be a promotion for Kevin Steele. Uh, you know, again, I don't know how much in the at the end of the day we can put, you know, stock in that. Um, I, I'm kind of like all as well as it ends well. Uh, I think Harson was a good hire. Uh, he has a long track record at Boise State of success. I like that more than, you know, a lot of Big Ten teams. Um, I'm kind of looking at you, Purdue, with Daryl Hazel. Uh, <laughs> you know, they have like one really good year um, and they get hired, you know, by a power five team. Um, and then it turns out that, oh, well, you just had the one good year. And you have no real clue how to build or maintain a program, which is not the case for Harson. Uh, Harson, you know, went kind of through like highs, a little bit of a lull, and then like back up at Boise State. Like he kind of maintained that over a number of years. So I like that better than going out and hiring, you know, say Jamie Chadwell off of his like one really good season at Coastal Carolina. Now, I think the world of Chadwell, I think his offense is really impressive, that sort of thing. Uh, but I feel more secure in that. Uh, I feel very positive that this was Alan Green's decision uh, to bring him in. It did not feel like, you know, uh, the boosters were kind of in the driver's seat and, you know, just using, you know, Green as a, you know, front to hire who they wanted. This did not feel like that kind of hire, which it did feel like for much of the search. Now, you know, this is all, let me say this, uh, post hoc here. Oh, well, everything was fine. <laughs> it wasn't really a complete circus carnival of a coaching search. Alan Green knew what he was doing the whole time. Like, that did not at all feel like uh, it was at the time. As an Auburn fan at the time, it was, uh, you know, uh, just various, you know, series of rage waves over the course of several days. Um, you know, as you know, these candidates, which no one, well, I say no one, maybe a handful of people, no one wanted Kevin Steele's Auburn next head coach. Uh, Bill Clark, you know, I think is a great guy. Again, not a guy that I think is necessarily ready to step up. I would have been happy with that hire, but not enthusiastic about it. Um, most Auburn fans, however, <laughs> would definitely have been grabbing torches and pitchforks, you know, not just with both hands, but like, carrying them under their armpits, you know, like spare pitchfork, you know, in the back pocket, basically, uh, if that had been the hire. So um, I can say now all's well that ends well, uh, but that was definitely not the experience of going through that coaching search, which is the way it always is. Auburn does not have coaching searches very often, contrary to our reputation. Auburn's only had, you know, I think five head coaches, maybe six off the top of my head, like, in the last 40 years, uh, we don't actually fire coaches all that often. Um, so when there is a coaching search, it tends to be this kind of feeding frenzy uh, where, you know, everybody, there are these agendas from the media, there's agendas from fans, there's agendas from some of the people who do have a hand in the decision making. And it ends up being this, you know, again, just a uh, Cirque du Soleil 
uh, of weird rumor and unbelievable innuendo and this all kinds of stuff. Um, it, it's nuts. And so let me just say to have lived through it and come out the other side with a coach that I think do, does represent a very good hire uh, is something I'm pretty happy about, even if I have a particular bone to pick with Brian Harson at the moment. Uh, yeah, uh, mind going into what that bone is, or do you think anyone who has paid any attention to Auburn football over the last month could probably put two and two together on that one? Yeah, I, Harson, uh, if you've missed it, just has not made a full-throated endorsement of the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, he's kind of danced around it. Um, you know, he said, well, we brought doctors in to give our team all the information and sort of hinted that, you know, it will be a good thing competitively if his team is vaccinated. Uh, but he has stopped short of just saying, I encourage everyone, including all of our team members, to get the vaccine, which is a very simple thing to do. Uh, he hasn't done it. I'm not happy about it. Um, I, <laughs> the least popular post I think I have ever posted uh, on Auburn Twitter was me saying that, like, yeah, I, I have a hard time respecting the guy uh, if he can't just come out and say, I encourage everyone to get the vaccine, which is something he hasn't done. Um, you know, I, I, I was ratioed. It was it was really the first time uh, <laughs> in my several years of Twitter experience being ratioed. Uh, so it's not really an experience I would want to relive. Uh, but I certainly don't, you know, have my stance has not changed. Um, and, you know, I said at the time, I support Brian Harson as Auburn's football coach. I hope he goes on to have a long and successful tenure as Auburn's head football coach. Uh, but on a personal level, like, you know, sorry, no, uh, we're in the middle of a public health crisis. And if you can't come out and make a very simple statement, uh, you know, regarding that public health crisis that reflects the values of Auburn University, you know, as the public big highest paid employee, most public facing highest profile Auburn University employee, if you can't make a statement that represents the values of that university, you know, no, I, I, I'm going to have a hard time respecting you on a personal level. Um, and so, you know, wish him absolutely all the best. I still, like I said, I think he was a good football hire, uh, but that's on a personal level. That's an issue. Yeah, if I remember correctly, the split zone duo guys between uh, Brian Harson's Brian Harsonness and Penn State just being real weird about uh, not mandating the vaccine and quote unquote choice and all that stuff deem this game the COVID bowl. So that's something you really <laughs> went hanging over your football game. Uh, Harson <laughs> Harson during his time at Boise State is the guy after the guy in Chris Peterson, 69 and 19 with a 45 and 8 record uh, in conference play. Only once did he not finish uh, in first place in the Mountain West, uh, and that year he'd finish in the tie for second. So a successful time there. And so far, you know, the early returns have been that Auburn is in a nice direction, going in a nice direction under him, 2-0. Uh, currently, the Tigers sit uh, in 22nd in the AP poll uh, in SP+. Plus. They sit in, duh, 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 I should have uh, made a better note of this, 11th, uh, 20th in offense, 10th in defense, 26th in special teams with a pair of wins, a 60 to 10 drubbing of Akron and a 62 to nothing uh, win over Alabama State. Uh, Jerry, season so far, how are we feeling and how much do you believe 
that we can take away from the fact that, yes, Auburn won its first two games uh, by an aggregate score of 122 to 10, uh, were able to win on away goals, which you always want. Uh, but at the same time, Akron and Alabama State. Yeah, it's a little bit of a tale of two first halves. Um, Auburn was just about perfect uh, in that first half against Akron out of the gate. You know, the big question over the last few years has been Bo Nix, um, who is now in his third year as a starter, came in, uh, started as a true freshman. He's the son of former Auburn quarterback Patrick Nix, who you may remember from a famous still frame from his tenure as Georgia Tech's offensive coordinator, where he was gesturing for his quarterback to spike the ball on fourth down, much to his head coach's chagrin. Um Anyways, we Auburn fans much prefer to remember Patrick Nix throwing for game-winning touchdowns against Alabama. Uh, it's Nix's son, Bo Nix, uh, came in as a five-star recruit, started from day one as a true freshman, led the comeback against Oregon in one of these neutral site games. They were down in Jerry World. Uh, an extremely dramatic, thrilling victory a couple of years ago, which unfortunately Nix has never really been able to fully recapture the magic of uh, that debut. Um has definitely had some very good moments, has definitely had some uh, less than good moments, just complete kind of offensive meltdowns and winnable games against, uh, you know, Florida down in the swamp a couple of years ago. LSU, uh, Auburn had a very good chance to derail LSU's undefeated national championship season. Even on the road, the defense played absolutely lights out. The best game anybody played all year against Joe Burrow and company, uh, and the offense just really could manage nothing at all. Um, and so it's been an open question. Is this because Bo Nix is not actually the five-star recruiting quarterback savior, or is it because Gus Malzahn's offense um, did not set him up to succeed? There have been many longstanding open questions about Malzahn's ability to uh, generate a sort of modern, adaptable, successful passing game uh, against high-quality opponents. Auburn never had a problem you know, moving the ball against sort of the lesser lights on their schedule, but against your Georgias, your Alabamas, and not even just Georgias and Alabamas, but, you know, again, you know, Florida, LSU, there have been winnable games on the schedule where Malzahn's offense is really just kind of cratered. Um, and so, you know, is that Knicks? Is it the offense? Is it the opposition? You know, we're, we've got our cauldron and we're mixing together all of this stuff and hoping that, you know, some spirit will rise out of the cauldron and say, uh, no, this is the reason that, you know, the offense has been struggling, uh, particularly in the passing game um, against these top quality opponents. And, you know, that hasn't happened. And now Gus is gone. So this is the question is. Uh, Harson went out and hired Mike Bobo uh, as run Auburn's the damn ball, new Bobo. coordinator. I, you know, he has been asked to run the damn ball frequently uh, over the years. Uh, we will see how much Auburn runs the damn ball versus. Really, for most Auburn fans, it's not as much run the damn ball as it is throw the damn ball effectively. Um, you know, we have uh, an offensive line that has been, you know, this is another thing that's been tossed in the cauldron is that the offensive line has been, uh, man, subpar is probably being kind, but at the very least subpar over the past few seasons. Uh, they are a more veteran group now, um, you know, more talent. We're hoping that the coaching change has sort of turned around the fortunes there. Uh, Knicks in that Akron game to get back to your question about these first couple of games the first half against Akron everything was perfect Knicks hit I think he hit his first 11 passes I want to say finished the game 20 of 22 
uh, in the pocket to set some kind of completion record for Auburn. Um, you know, was hitting balls down the field, underneath, just in total control. Uh, Auburn scored touchdowns, I think, on seven of their first eight possessions and had a field goal on the other, uh, or six of seven. Anyways, just an absolutely dominant performance. Did not punt until the first string had already been taken out of the game. Uh, you know, just really as perfect a performance as you would want in that game. So the following week, they're playing Alabama State, who, like Sagarin's ratings that mix FCS and, you know, FBS teams all together, had Alabama State as a substantially worse opponent even than Akron. Um, and, you know, we're all waiting for the same kind of success, and it, it didn't happen. Auburn got kind of bogged down in the red zone a couple of times, uh, kicked some field goals, uh, scored, I think, one offensive touchdown in the first half. You know, that final score looks really nice. Auburn did cover, but they also scored on a pick six. They scored on a blocked punt for a touchdown. Um, and the offense really did not wake up uh, until the third quarter. Like the first half, um, a buddy of mine called it atrocious. And I was like, you know, on the one hand, that seems a little stark. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, this is Alabama State. It, it kind of is atrocious. Uh, it was just really not an encouraging half. And this, it, the other thing was that Auburn played Alabama State at home in 2018. Uh, which was the year after the year for Jarrett Stidham. Uh, big expectations that year. They kind of scuffled and sputtered in that game as well uh, on their way to really not having a good year. Uh, lost to a bad Tennessee team that year, I think. Uh, you know, 7-5 and five in the regular season, but they were. it felt like they weren't even that good. That was a disappointing season. And so the echoes of that game were kind of ringing around the stadium as they were scuffling to this sort of first half uh, mediocrity against Alabama State. So we're left as Auburn fans saying, well, you know, what's real here? Is it this first half against Akron where they were perfect? We were saying, oh, well, this is the kind of offense Bo Nick should have been in his entire career. You know, everything is great. Or is it this second, uh, or is it this first half against Alabama State where Nick's does not look comfortable, where the offensive line gets stuffed on third and one multiple times? Uh, we had multiple third and one failures running the ball against Alabama State. Where you, you, you mentioned Letterman earlier. We're also tugging our collars a bit, going, <laughs> you know, where we're trying to run the ball straight ahead on third and one against Alabama State and going nowhere. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know. I don't know, Bill. I wish I could sit here and say, ah, well, clearly the first half against Akron is more predictive of what will happen the rest of the season for Auburn than the first half against Alabama State. I don't know. I don't know, man. I hope it is. I think there is some reason to believe because of the early kickoff in the Alabama State game and the fact that I think the coaches were, you know, probably already looking forward to Penn State more for that game than the Akron game. You know, I would maybe lean towards the Akron game being a more accurate representation, but I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. So if there is one thing that I think we could say about Auburn, you know, we'll break down offense and defense at this point. Uh, mentioned yeah. Mike Bobo, uh, noted person that everyone has heard of for not necessarily great reasons as a football coach. Right. Uh, Knicks has put up numbers in those first few games, and it's like a small thing to hold on to. Certainly, like, it, it, it's not that, you know, he's done this against crazy teams, but also, like, you can only beat who's in front of you. 75% completion percentage, 383 yards, five touchdowns, no picks. And 
one of the best running backs in the country, or guy at least right there in that conversation for the best in Tank Bisbee. Uh, Jarquez Hunter has done a nice job on the ground. It seems to me like Auburn, if we had to guess coming into this game, they're not going to put a ton on Knicks for some of the reasons that you mentioned early on because they have that really good running game. How much should Penn State fans expect to see uh, them saying, Bo, go out here and win this game for us? And how much of it's going to be, listen, we got these running backs. We know they're dudes. Let's run it into the teeth of this Penn State defense and try and really slow this game down. Yeah, it it's going to come down to, I really think, Auburn's offense, how much success they have is like 94% tied to the success of their offensive line. Um, and this is kind of where we've talked about Nick struggling over the years against other top tier defenses that starts with, um, Auburn not being able to run the ball. Like if Auburn can, you know, run some play action, keep, you know, defenses honest, all that kind of stuff. Nick has, when he's had time to stand in the pocket and deliver, he's done a very good job. Um, when Auburn's running game gets bogged down because the offensive line can't block anybody, uh, the whole thing just kind of falls apart. Uh, Nick's, I think, is a solid player. I think he can be a very good quarterback. He's not at that tier of quarterback where uh, he can sort of elude pressure and make things happen all on his own. He's fairly mobile. He will run the ball uh, every now and again. You know, he'll have a designed run for him. Uh, he'll make a little scramble, um, you know, and make something happen that way. But that's not his really forte. Uh, his forte, I think, is when the offense is working well, the, you know, running game is keeping people honest. He's able to kind of sit back, survey, see what happens and make throws. Uh, he is absolutely 100% capable of doing that now, you know, but that doesn't happen unless the running game is working. It's, you know, tail as old as time here, but, uh, that's really, uh, absolutely Auburn's success starts with the offensive line giving Tank Bigsby, uh, Jarko's Hunter. We may see Sean Shivers as well, who is a absolutely, uh, angry runner. He's about five, nine, maybe, uh, who I think you'll probably see. He was out of the Alabama state game, uh, with a knock, but I think, uh, if he plays, you'll definitely see him get at least a couple of carries. He's a very, I I've never seen a running back run more angry, like seek out more contact, despite the fact that he's about five. And I'm, uh, Penn State listeners may remember um, a highlight from two Iron Bowls ago where an Auburn running back knocked uh, Xavier McKinney's helmet clean off on a touchdown run uh, to win the 2019 Iron Bowl. That was Sean Shiver, so you may see him as well. But clearly Tank Bigsby uh, is the guy at running back. I would expect him to get at least 20 carries, 20 to 25 carries. Um, and if he gets seams from the offensive line, uh, he's going to make yards. Like he is that, I really think he's one of the best running backs in the country. Um, you know, Auburn fans have had the pleasure of seeing a lot of great running backs over the years, uh, from carry on Johnson, Cadillac Williams going back, uh, you know, to a certain Heisman winner back in the mid eighties, uh, you know, and Bigsby is right up there, you know, with any of them over the last, you know, couple of decades, he is just an exceptional runner, exceptional balance, exceptional power, like just really the whole package. He's going to play in the NFL at some point. Um, and so if he gets seams and he can make yards, if Hunter can get yards, if Shivers can get yards in their cameos, the whole thing kind of comes together. Now, am I sold on the idea that Auburn's much bedraggled <laughs> offensive line 
uh, is going to be able to do that against a Penn State defensive line, um, you know, that I think has a lot of talent on it. <laughs> you know, um, I'm, I'm not sure. If they do, uh, I do think that Auburn's going to be able to move the ball. I think Nick's, um, you know, it's a hostile environment. But Bo Nix, this is his third year as a starter. Like, he's seen hostile environments at Florida, at Bryant-Denny Stadium, at LSU. He hasn't always succeeded in those environments. Uh, it's kind of been a problem, frankly. But, uh, you know, this is where, again, the coaching change comes in. And, you know, we say, well, you know, maybe he's being put in better positions to succeed, both from a coaching standpoint and hopefully from an offensive line standpoint. Uh, and that'll make the difference. Uh, you know, fingers crossed, uh, flipping all the coins, rolling all the dice, you know, that this is how uh, it plays out. But it definitely starts up front. Yeah. And Bigsby uh, last season as a freshman, 10 games, 138 carries, 834 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, real quick, uh, just one last question on the offense before we go to the defense. Uh, the thing that I think has defined Auburn in the years where Gus Malzahn has been around, is that the offense has always seemed very gimmicky. It's always seemed very smoke and mirrors-y. It seemed like there's the bet has always been that you need to fool the defense rather than you need to be able to like out-execute the defense. It's been – there aren't a lot of offenses like Gus Malzahn's. We'll, we'll just put it that way. I'm guessing that uh, you mentioned a bit of a change in offensive philosophy. Is it just oh, a yeah. lot more direct, a lot more – if we're running it, we're running it down your throat. If we're passing it, it's not with 35 million guys going in motion. Like just how is it different? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's gone from a Gus Malzahn spread, which is a very particular kind of thing. It's always in the shotgun. You've always got at least, you know, three wideouts on the field. Um, if you have a tight end, he's usually going to be motioning into like an H-back position and you're not throwing it to him under any circumstances. Um, you know, one back, this kind of stuff. Um, and basically, though, there's lots of motion um, and, yes, a lot of misdirection, but it's also sort of like going to be, you know, it's going to be shotgun, what the formation is going to look like. Um, and the gimmicks... I think to some extent to Malzahn's detriment over the years got dialed back. Um, you know, I think the last couple of years, um, Auburn's offense did not seem really very creative at all. Honestly, I, I feel like Malzahn um, had his sort of, you know, uh, pet uh, plays and, you know, system and really was not looking to get outside of his comfort zone as much. I mean, you know, when I talked earlier about like, you know, I had kind of given up you know, hope that Malzahn's offense was going to be good enough to have Auburn compete, um, you know, for an SEC West championship, for SEC championships, even, you know, even aside from the difficulty in that particular goal when you share a division uh, with the team you're sharing it with and you play Georgia every single year, uh, you know, Malzahn didn't have to win the SEC West, but you at least want him to sort of be in that upper tier um, on occasion, and I, I was no longer convinced that his offense was fresh enough, creative enough to accomplish that. Um, you know, so what we're seeing now is very much, I think, a Brian Harson offense. Like, you know, going all the way back to the Chris Peterson days at Boise State, like, we define that as being multiple. There's a reason Harson got hired away to run things at Texas under Mac Brown. Um, you know, that offense that we saw back in, you know, under Peterson – 
did a lot of different things. They would line up in the eye. They would move their you know tight ends around. They would have some power looks. They would have some eye looks. But they would also at times go into the shotgun and you know run kind of what we see more in the NFL now, where you've got the you know sort of NFL spread where you just kind of have the shotgun snap and you know take a quick drop and you know make these kind of almost West Coasty type throws. Uh, they would do some of that. And we're seeing that a little bit with Auburn here in these first couple of games. Now, they were pretty vanilla against Alabama State in particular. Um, not as many deep shots as I think they took against um, Akron in the opener. Um, you know, and I think we will definitely see more wrinkles without question uh, against Penn State. Um, but, you know, when I look to how we would define the current Harson-Bobo arrangement, and let me say, you know, hiring Mike Bobo – is not a name that like how I saw that news come across the old Twitter ticker and thought, ah, yes, Mike Bobo, here we go. Uh, this is how <laughs> we're going to get a schematic advantage over the rest of the SEC is by hiring Georgia's old offensive coordinator who Nick Saban, you know, basically, uh, you know, buried six feet under every single time they met. Um, you know, it's that was not my reaction. Uh, my reaction was, you know, Harson, however, is a fairly creative offensive guy from what we've seen, you know, across his tenure, going all the way back to when he was a Boise State assistant. Um, you know, if he am, can kind of check, I think, some of Bobo's conservatism and the two of them together can kind of come up with a scheme where, OK, we're going to try and do different things. Uh, we're going to find a way to both run the ball and, you know, be effective in the passing game, make Knicks comfortable. I think between the two of them. Um, you know, we're going to see more creativity despite Bobo's reputation. I am hoping anyway, uh, than we saw, you know, from Malzahn, not necessarily the first couple of years of Malzahn's Auburn tenure when we had Nick Marshall or even going back to, you know, the amazing Cam Newton year where we had options and gimmicks and, you know, RPOs during the Marshall years. Uh, we're not going to see as much of that, uh, but we weren't seeing that from under Gus the last couple of years anyway. I think Auburn's offense right now, I think is going to feel more creative, uh, more innovative uh, under Harson and Bobo, actually, than it was even under Malzahn. So the one thing that I think definitely helps Auburn is as they're kind of figuring stuff out on offense is that uh, they have, for my money, one of the best defensive coaches in football as their defensive coordinator in Derek Mason, uh, formerly at Stanford, was the head coach of Vandy for a few years. And uh, those Vandy teams were uh, never particularly stellar. Uh, but they always had a little bit of nastiness about them on the defensive side of the football. Uh, talent on that side of the ball, a couple of preseason second team, all SEC selections in Zacoby McLean and Smoke Monday, and a couple of third team uh, selections in uh, Roger McCreart and Owen Popo. Uh, some Penn State fans might remember him as a guy who uh, came up here on an official visit. Uh, Jerry, what should we think about this Auburn defense, because while, you know, you probably you expect it to have a couple of standouts every single year, a couple of guys who are going to be playing on Sundays, new defensive coordinator. in, but like, I just kind of expect Auburn to punk teams defensively whenever they take the field. <laughs> uh, I'm excited about the defense. Uh, we've talked a lot about the offense. I'm way more excited about the defense than I am the offense, honestly. Um, you know, aside from like one Alabama State drive uh, where they ended up having about 60 yards and attempted the short field goal that Al Auburn turned into a touchdown the other way, um, there wasn't the kind of hiccups 
that we saw for the offense in the first half of that Alabama State game from the defense. The defense has basically been lights out since they stepped on the field. Uh, you know, there's plenty of guys um, on the defense that, you know, yes, Papo is incredible. McLean's incredible. Uh, Smoke Monday is a great, great player. Um, but Auburn also has a lot of depth at corner. Roger McCreary had a pick six. He's a senior who is going to play in the NFL. I think he's going to be drafted. Uh, had a pick six against Alabama State. Nehemiah Pritchett uh, actually uh, was the player who ran back um, the blocked field goal. Auburn fans are very excited about our special teams. Harson is playing more of our starters. Uh, as you might figure out from the fact that one of our two starting corners returned the field goal for block for a touchdown, uh, Pritchett is also a very, very good corner. The, the secondary, I think, uh, is very strong and nearly as strong as I would say Auburn's linebacking unit is. Papo, Owen Papo, uh, is an absolutely stellar player. Uh, McLean is also very good. Chandler Wooten, uh, is a player who opted out, uh, of last season, uh, but is now a captain and a senior. Uh, you'll see a lot of him, he, uh, playing there, uh, in the middle of the linebacking unit. Also a very, very good player. Um, if Auburn, if I had to peg one of these three units that I might say isn't quite up to the standard of the other others, I would say the defensive line, um, they've also played very well to start the year. Uh, TD Moultrie, uh, was a former sort of, uh, blue chip recruit, uh, who hasn't always lived up to that billing, uh, during his first three years on campus. Uh, he is now a senior, um, and playing very, very well to start the season. Derek Hall, uh, is a very strong edge rusher there at defensive end. Uh, lots of size in the middle. Colby Wooden is another defensive end to watch. So um, maybe not quite the level of talent that we would see from Auburn in the linebacking uh, core, the secondary, uh, but also, you know, still just a very, very strong group of players. And yes, Derek Mason, I think, you know, I was sort of making fun of like saying, oh, well, Mike Bobo, you know, I did not react to that hire with necessarily 100% enthusiasm. That was not the case for Derek Mason. Um, Derek Mason, I think, is an absolutely outstanding defensive coach. Uh, I think people don't necessarily realize from outside the SEC. Uh, Penn State fans may have a better idea of this than most for obvious reasons, but how hard it is to succeed at Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Derek Mason took over a program that was in better shape than, like, almost any Vanderbilt coach has ever had the pleasure of taking over a program there. But that does not mean that still getting to multiple bowls um, as Vanderbilt's head coach is still not an outstanding accomplishment. Um, I thought, you know, I understand why, again, like Vanderbilt eventually decided to part ways because just, you know, you reach a point where um, it, it's just kind of everybody's ready to move on. And I think they and Mason have probably reached that point. Uh, but he did some great things there. His uh, coordinating record at Stanford was out, you know, uh, really just top shelf, uh, no holes in that resume. Uh, and then, you know, Stanford, maybe it's not a coincidence that since he has left, uh, Derek Mason left Stanford, they've kind of like, you know, the graph of Stanford performance has basically been on a steady decline ever since. Um, you know, maybe that's coincidence. Eh, maybe it ain't. Uh, so I am extremely happy to have Mason, uh, on board. I think, um, he does have a lot to live up to uh, in terms of Kevin Steele did a phenomenal job the last couple of years as well uh, at Auburn. Like they have produced a number of pros. That unit was really, really strong the last couple of years. Maybe didn't get as much recognition nationally because uh, Auburn did not pull off the big upsets that they needed because, you know, again, the offense was kind of struggling. 
so there's a high bar for Mason to live up to, but I think he absolutely can live up to it. I think schematically we are going to see a little bit more 3-4. Uh, Kevin Steele was pretty much um, exclusively a 4-3, you know, occasionally 4-2-5 kind of guy. Uh, I think we are going to see a little bit more 3-4, both because of Mason uh, and because, like I said, Auburn's linebacking core, I think, has a little bit more depth to it. But, you know, uh, there's going to be all kinds of, you know, different looks, uh, especially, you know, again, Auburn's been very vanilla the first couple of games. They There's no reason to uh, show Penn State anything that's in your hand when you're playing the likes of Akron and Alabama State. So I think mm-hmm. we're going to see – Plenty of defensive wrinkles, um, you know, I, and I, I really can't wait. I think Auburn's defense, seeing them challenged by Penn State's offense, you know, for the first time this year is going to be really special. And, you know, spoiler, I'm, I don't remember offhand what the total is for this game. I, I think it's 53.5 was – I looked yeah. it up yesterday. It's something in that ballpark. Yeah, I would lean pretty strongly towards the under in this game. I think both off, both defenses uh, are out in front uh, of the offenses. Um, you know, Auburn, again, you know, you look at like their statistics and they're like number one in the FBS and yards per play. And I still, you know, maybe it's just, you know, these last couple of years of Auburn, you know, going to play these kinds of high profile games and the offense just really not, being up to snuff, you know, that plus the first half of that Alabama State game. I'm I am wary. Uh until, you know, they show that they can consistently move the ball up and down. Um, I'm not sure about them, but I am sure about this Auburn defense. I think this Auburn defense is really gonna make Penn State uh work for their supper. And, you know, that that fifty three and a half, that seems that seems pretty high to me. If I if I was picking a side on that one, I think I would definitely be going with the under on this one. Uh, yeah, our uh, our pals over at the Punt Cast will surely have a lot of fun with uh, with this football yes. game. Uh, but let's just let me just ask you about the game because you know we're gonna uh, do our pod at the end of the week and talk about it from the Penn State perspective. But I want to know from an Auburn perspective, just what are your general thoughts? It could be about Auburn, about Penn State, about this game specifically. Just whatever is going around in your head as we get closer and closer to game day. Yeah, I would say. Um... I'm really excited for it because we don't know. Again, I, I feel like we don't know anything about this Hubbard team really yet. Like we had the huge coaching chains and now we've played these two, you know, frosted cupcakes, uh, you know, not just normal cupcakes, like, you know, delicious frosted, you know, red velvet cream cheese, you know, just the most delicious cupcakes Dude. you can imagine. Oof. My God, um, I, haven't, I haven't eaten lunch yet. So let's, uh, let's calm down. Sorry. Um, well, this is what, was, if, this if, is if what you, Akron and Alabama State were like. In, in fairness to you, if you, you know, if you knew that I hadn't eaten lunch yet, that would have been very weird. So it, it's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll tone down the food metaphors. Uh, Thank you. Shouts to Morgan. Um, so we don't know. So I'm extremely excited in that regard. I'm extremely excited because, you know, Auburn has also, you know, we already talked about this, played in several of these kinds of, uh, neutral site games uh, over the past, you know, few years. They kick off classics and Chick-fil-A nonsense. Uh, so playing a game on campus in this kind of atmosphere, it really is special. Um, you know, there's been some talk about like, oh, well, how is, you know, Nick's going to respond to this atmosphere? And, you know, is this atmosphere, 
necessarily do I think it's going to be more intimidating than going to an LSU, going to an Alabama, going to a swamp. I, you know, I think they're probably roughly about the same. I, I don't really get into the Kian S. Mas Macho, uh, you know, who has the best home field advantage kind of thing. Uh, but I'm not going to put down Penn State's home field advantage either. I think particularly with the travel, um, it's absolutely there. It's absolutely important. How is Bo Nix going to respond to that, even given his experience, uh, you know, is still an open question. Um, and so there are just so many questions that need answering. And this is going to be such a special atmosphere in which to have them answered. Uh, you know, is it more intimidating than an LSU in Alabama? No. But we don't play in Happy Valley every year. In fact, I'm not sure, you know, I should know this already, but, uh, you know, who I'm not sure Auburn has ever played in Happy Valley. Um, so even though, you know, we've played in bowl games, this is still such a unique game experience. It's not in Jerry World. It's not in FedEx Field. It's not in the Georgia Dome. Um, you know, it, it's really just thrilling that Auburn's going to play in a game like this, that they're going to have these questions answered in a game like this. Uh, it's just really unique, really special. I'm delighted that this game is happening. Um, you know, as far as expectations go, you know, I just want Auburn to be competitive. I think Penn State is, is an excellent team. I don't think they are ranked. I think I saw fifth uh, in the most recent SP Plus, uh, you know, release. Um, I don't think that's by accident. I'm a pretty big believer uh, in SP Plus and power ratings and that kind of stuff. Um, going to Wisconsin. And winning that game, you know, even given sort of the, you know, maybe a little bit of good fortune in the turnover department, uh, winning that game didn't happen by accident. I, I, I just want a good competitive game, like one where Auburn fans, even in a defeat, don't feel like throwing something through a window. And again, this goes back to like why Malzahn got fired, even as his results were understandable, you know, if not outstanding, they weren't certainly weren't bad or, you know, uh, even mediocre. His, his win-loss record is pretty good, uh, but so many of these kinds of games against Clemson, against LSU over the years have resulted in just Auburn going three and out, you know, for five consecutive possessions and, you know, fans just wanting to punch holes in their walls. Uh, you know, even if Auburn loses, if they don't do that, if the defense plays the way I feel like it can play, if the offense, you know, at least moves the ball, um, you know, makes Penn State's defense think about some things, uh, it's going to be a good game. And I think that's what we're going to see. I think this is going to be a highly competitive, highly entertaining, very tight contest. Um, and it, it should just be an absolute blast. And I'm very grateful to, um, you know, uh, Penn State's athletic department and Auburn's athletic department for making this happen. I think it should be pretty special. Uh, yeah, I'm looking this up right now. Uh, Penn State and Auburn have played twice. The series is uh, one and one in 1996. Penn State won 43 to 14 in Tampa. And I was at it, that game. It was awful. <laughs> I, well, I, I was uh, not a Penn State fan at the time, so I'm not one to speak. And then in 2003 uh, in Orlando, uh, Auburn won 13 to nine, uh, which my guess is that game was also awful, but you were probably considerably happier about how that one ended. That one was actually okay. Uh, because if I remember correctly, Ronnie Brown had an outstanding game from the running back position. I think that was the game where afterwards you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, you had the running back, Larry Johnson, right? Penn state. Like yes. I've got the name, right. It's Larry yeah. something. I know. Uh, I think he kind of said something in the press about possibly questioning the Penn State play calling after that, which, you know, 
that was a big deal. Like you, yeah. you don't see, uh, especially back in 2003, uh, you, you didn't necessarily see star players sort of openly uh, questioning the play calling. So actually, you know, at that game, uh, well, both of these games are highly memorable for different reasons. The 1996 Outback Bowl, I remember because uh, it rained. We didn't have any ponchos. And so I wore a garbage bag to the game <laughs> to see my team get absolutely mud stomped. Um, you know, uh, so that, you know, one of the more miserable football going experiences I've had actually, uh, so very memorable for that reason. The other one, like I said, I think, uh, you know, Auburn's defense and then Ronnie Brown just kind of, uh, you know, having control of that game, uh, you know, from start to finish was uh, a, a certain amount of, I mean, that was kind of a quintessential Tommy Tuberville kind of game, right? Like just, uh, yielding basically nothing on defense and then the running game just kind of like you know, just milking the clock, CONCACAF-esque, like down to zero, uh, even though you have like the slimmest of leads. Um, it, it's just very Tommy Tuberville. Tommy Tuberville absolutely missed his calling um, as like a Guatemalan, you know, head coach. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there's somewhere there is a Tomito Tuberville, you know, Ville who uh, is one day going to see out like a zero-zero draw. Uh, in Guatemala City against the U.S., uh, you know, with his players uh, milking the injury clock. Um, yeah. And it's fine. Like, that's great. Like, that's what's supposed to happen uh, if you're Guatemala. So, you know, just this is – that's what that kind of game reminds me of. And we had so many of them during the Tommy Tuberville era, um, which, you know, again, for reasons uh, can't quite look back as fondly as we might otherwise <laughs> – uh, but we don't have to go there. Uh, yes. Anyways, uh, I think the interesting thing about the history between Auburn and Penn State uh, is that these are the only two teams uh, who are members of the like current Power Five conferences who went undefeated during the regular season and then had no opportunity to play for a national championship uh, at the end of that season in the last 30 years, at least. I, I, I'm not sure if you can go further back, but 94 Penn State, uh, and then Auburn in both 93, because you're, you're on probation, uh, and 2004 uh, when we weren't. Those are the only, like, Big Ten, SEC, Big 12, you know, Pac-12 uh, teams that went undefeated and had no chance, uh, you know, to play for a national championship. And that's kind of why, you know, both had uh, a role in sort of bringing about the current college football national championship decision-making process. Penn State not having a shot at the national championship in 94, I think probably had something to do with the Big Ten finally agreeing to leave the Rose Bowl behind and enter the BCS. And I know for a fact that Auburn being left out of the 2004 BCS game helped lead to the creation of the playoff because the SEC said, well, no, we're not letting one of our teams go undefeated and not have a shot uh, anymore. So I, that is something that our fan base is, uh, I think have in common is a lot of bitterness over the way those undefeated seasons played out in the end. So when it comes to this game, I just want to do a quick game of fill in the blank again from the Auburn perspective and not the Penn State perspective. And I'll start with the, the less favorable outcome for you. Penn State wins this game if blank. Um, okay, if Tank averages like less than four yards of carry, um, if Knicks completes, say, less than 60% of his passes or for less than five yards an attempt, um, those things would probably go together. 
Um, if Bigsby is averaging like even up around four and a half yards a carry, you're going to see Nix's completion percentage and yards per attempt creep up. I think at that point, we're talking about Auburn scoring, you know, 24 to 28 points. Uh, and in that case, I think Auburn's defense will be able to, you know, pull out the game. Uh, the flip side is if Bigsby does not get into that four and a half, five carry uh, range, you know, if he's down around 3.7. Um, and Auburn keeps getting into these kinds of third and sixes, second and eights, um, and asking Knicks to, uh, you know, throw against a defense that is sort of expecting the pass uh, really strongly. And so he's down at like, oh, well, he's averaging 5.2 yards a pass and completing, you know, 51% of his passes. He's, you know, 15 of 31, you know. That's not a recipe for Auburn to win the game. I think in that case, you end up with Auburn finishing with like 17 points and they lose 21 to 17, that kind of thing. Um, it, you know, again, I, I think the defense is going to do what it does. I have a hard time seeing as good. I think I have a lot of respect, uh, for Penn State's skill weapons in particular. Um, you know, it, it's just tough for me to see any defense right now, uh, getting into that 28 to 30 point range. I think both teams are going to be somewhere between like 20 and 27 points, basically. Um, you know, I, I think, the question is, is Auburn, does Auburn get into that 27-28 range, or are they still down in the 17-20 to 20 range? And to me, it really comes down to how Auburn's offense executes. And, and then my last question, uh, what are your thoughts on this season just beyond this game? I mean, Auburn, um, you know, with all due respect to Auburn, like the schedule is not particularly easy to, <laughs> this year which is kind of just kind of just the nature of being Auburn football like you mentioned like every year they have a crossover game with Georgia of all teams they uh get Georgia and Alabama at home of course uh they got my beloved Ole Miss Rebs uh coming to Auburn too Uh, beyond this weekend what are your thoughts on this Auburn football season in general is there optimism is there pessimism cautious optimism kind of just you know, first year of a new regime. So, you know, it's a free roll of the dice. Where are you at on it? Yeah, I feel like Auburn is in the microcosm, like one of the most interesting programs in the country right now. And in the macrocosm, like not interesting at all. Um, (laughs) In the micro, it's like, oh, well, you know, they've gone outside the box for a head coaching hire. Like, you know, despite, you know, being in the shadow of Alabama and Georgia, this is still, you know, I think they're 14th in the country in like overall talent. This is a program that has won a national title, you know, in the relatively recent past. You know, I think it's fair to say this is one of the like top 20 jobs in the country. It's just turned over. They've got a lot of talent. You know, a coach that's coming from literally Boise, uh, you know, does not have very much experience at all in the SEC or the Southeast. His Arkansas State stint was about as close as he's gotten. Um, you know, has made some interesting coaching hires. Uh, you know, how is he going to fare, uh, Brian Harson? You know, it's not quite a stranger in a strange land kind of situation, but you know, it's much more outside of Auburn's hiring norm, outside of the SEC as a whole's hiring norm. Like, if they're going to hire group of five coaches, you know, it's much more like what you would have seen in South Carolina hiring Shane Beamer. Uh, you know, they generally pull from either assistants or coaches that are already in the region. Brian Harson 
the reason, part of it, that nobody mentioned his name until, you know, the night before he was hired, basically, uh, is because it does seem like he came out of left, left field. Um, and so him coming in with, like I said, a lot of positives and a lot of talent on hand. So we're going to see what he can do. I think that is very interesting. On the other hand, you've got the realistic, you know, aspects of Auburn's schedule. They're going to play Alabama. They're going to play Georgia. They're going to play Texas A&M. Uh, they're going to Penn State. Like, to me, it just does not seem like Auburn has the kind of seat. Now, maybe I'm, <laughs> it'd be awesome if I was wrong, but I don't think Auburn has the kind of ceiling where you say they can win an SEC West, where you say, oh, well, maybe they, you know, make a miracle run, uh, win the SEC, get into the playoff. Against this schedule, I'm just not seeing it. Like, I think they are pretty much locked in to somewhere between seven and five and nine and three. Um, like, you know, they're too good, I think, to win fewer than seven games, six at the absolute minimum, unless there's like some injuries. Um, but I also just have a really hard time given the teams that are on their schedule, even playing Alabama and Georgia at home uh, in the first year of Harson's coaching tenure that they're going to be better than, you know, nine and three, maybe 10 and two if they're really fortunate. But even that isn't going to get them out of the SEC West, almost certainly. So, you know, it's um, I'm simultaneously sort of really excited to watch the team and simultaneously sort of bored by the season. Does that make sense? Like, it seems like a total paradox, but that's sort of where I am in that, like, I'm excited to watch the team, but I also have like sort of no expectations um, because I, I just, you know, again, I hope I'm wrong. I'm hope that, you know, they come out and it turns out that Harson uh, is a warlock uh, and that they can get up to, you know, 11 wins, 10 would be freaking awesome, uh, you know, and maybe really pull off uh, a crazy upset uh, in the Iron Bowl or against Georgia um, and, you know, really push into that top tier. I just don't see it yet. Uh, but that's part of why this Penn State game is so interesting is I, you know, um, I don't have expectations, but if Auburn performs the way, maybe they could this Saturday, maybe it would be time to start having them. Um, that, that's sort of where I am uh, on this season as a whole. Well, you and I were talking a little bit before the pod. Uh, fingers, like I have this uh, weird affinity for Auburn. Uh I mean, let's be honest, a good part of that is because of Cam Newton. But the bigger part of it is, like we were talking, uh, just I find them a fascinating pro program because I think they're very much in a similar boat to Penn State in terms of they have the one hurdle that they need to clear every year, and it's a really high hurdle in their own division. So uh, I'm hoping for a great game this weekend. I'm hoping that uh, you are really uh, – you, you love the environment just as much as I hope I love the environment as I watch Penn State head down to Auburn next season. But just generally, Jerry, thank you so much for taking the time, man. Absolutely, Bill. Like, it is great uh, to talk some college football, uh, especially with, a you know, uh, another USMNT fan who understands what the hell I'm talking about when I start bringing up Guatemalan clock milking tactics. Um, you know, so, uh, it, it's been a blast, man. Uh, we'll have to do it again next year. Absolutely. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Make sure you go and you give Jerry a follow on social media at Jerry Hinnon, uh, for, like we mentioned, formerly of CBS sports. He's now, uh, his, some of his writing shows up in the war eagle reader.com. 
Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast wherever you go to get your podcast. And if you go to Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us a five-star subscription. Please keep reading and supporting the site, buying shirts, following us on social media, all those sorts of things. One last time, thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.